The next case demonstrates an important and common issue, specifically management of the patient with significant comorbid conditions. The patient is 81 years old and in 1999 was treated with tamoxifen for an ERPR HER2 positive node positive tumor. Three years later, while on tamoxifen, she presented with profound fatigue and markedly elevated CA15-3. Imaging evaluation revealed extensive liver and bone metastases, as commented on by Dr. Schwartz. I made a decision because of the symptoms to not go first with a second line hormone, but to place the patient on weekly paclitaxel and trastuzumab, and she received that for 12 weeks with excellent symptomatic relief. And then switched the patient to an aromatase inhibitor, letrozole, with trastuzumab for 15 months, and the patient. Over the years, has slowly progressed on various regimens, including navalbine, herceptin, gemcitabine, herceptin, subsequently capecitabine, exemestane. But for the past 15 months, she's been maintained really on herceptin and the teremafin. Has been doing well from a systemic standpoint. On imaging studies, she has no evidence of active disease in the liver or in the bones, nor symptoms related to those sites. However, she has had several important issues: one which relates to the cancer, and one which doesn't. When I first met the patient about nine years ago, very bright, working museum curator, obviously very sophisticated, and she's had a problem with progressive dementia, probably Alzheimer's. Which has, over the years, slowly advanced to the point where she really is friendly and is polite, but requires someone with her 24 hours a day. At the same time, in September 2005, she was diagnosed with two brain metastases, which were treated radiosurgically. And followed, and in April 2007, developed several more brain lesions. Again, was treated with radiosurgery. With a good response by imaging, and most recently this month, we're restaging the disease, and again the systemic disease we don't have any evidence of, but the brain imaging shows growth in two of the previously irradiated brain metastases, as well as two new small brain metastases. What about the issue, Eric, of whole brain radiation in somebody with dementia? Well, so you know, I don't think we know very much about this. I will tell you that if she had had whole brain irradiation several years ago, we'd probably all be attributing her dementia now, at least partially, to that whole brain radiotherapy. I don't know of any data in terms of people irradiating during whole brain radiotherapy in somebody with established dementia. Although I would think that there would be concerns that the two might be problematic together. Now, what about the treatment approach? In this situation, Mike, what have you been thinking? Yeah, because of the disease progressing only in the CNS, and my little bit of reluctance to give whole brain radiation, I offered treatment with lapatinib. What about the issue of compliance? Do you think that her caretaker that won't be an issue? For this particular patient, that will not be an issue in any way. What about the decision itself, Eric? You know, what do we know about lapatinib in terms of brain mats? So what we know about lapatinib in brain mets certainly lapatinib as a single agent comes from two studies. One study that we actually conducted at Dana Farber Harvard Cancer Center and at Georgetown and UNC, that was led by my colleague Nancy Lin. Thirty-nine patients 
all of whom had had prior radiotherapy and prior trastuzumab with progressive CNS disease. That paper was actually just published in the JCO. And there was one official partial response by RESIST criteria, but a moderate number of other patients who had stable disease and control of the disease in their brain for a number of months, meaning four to six plus in some cases. And then a second trial that was a multicenter, multinational trial involved a total of 241 patients, so a pretty fair-sized phase two trial where the overall objective response rate, and these were volumetric measurements, was 6%. So certainly not a strikingly high response rate, but enough to say that there is activity of lopatinib as a single agent in some number of people. This wasn't a fluke or a chance finding, which I think could have been the case with our small study. And there again, there were some patients who also had stabilization of the disease for a number of months. So in somebody where you're trying to, in many ways, minimize the treatment, control the disease as best you can without trying to intervene with toxic therapy or therapy, in this case, that you might imagine could make her dementia worse, I think actually starting with single-agent lapatinib in this patient is a pretty reasonable approach. The other you know, considerations would be whole brain radiotherapy, as we've talked about, talking to the radiation oncologist and considering an approach with repeat SRS, although that can be problematic. One could do nothing, and that would be a discussion with the healthcare proxy. And then finally, one could do capecitabine and lapatinib, That hasn't been specifically tried in patients with CNS disease outside of patients who actually progressed in our multicenter study on lapatinib. And in that experience, the combination was active in about 20% of the patients who enrolled in this post-progression study and had previously had lapatinib. And, you know, the problem here is that she's already had capecitabine. You want to minimize toxicity. So I would, if I were going to start with systemic therapy, I'd use lapatinib and then think about adding capecitabine if there were progression. Now, this woman's had multiple therapies with trastuzumab, with different chemotherapies. And then, you know, lapatinib kind of comes along. You know, in the past, we would hear these stories, you know, all the debate and controversy about continuing trastuzumab on progression. Where are we right now at that cycle, Eric? When do we bring in lapatinib along the line? Well, you know, the FDA label for lapatinib is in patients who have had disease progression on trastuzumab. And it is the approved therapy given with capecitabine for patients who have had disease progression on trastuzumab. I think one of the issues that many doctors in practice, doctors in academics are struggling with is when do you use lapatinib? Do you use it after the first trastuzumab-containing regimen? Do you use it at some point later in the course of the disease? And, you know, there clearly isn't a right or wrong answer, although it is at the moment the approved therapy after initial progression on trastuzumab. I think there's more evidence than there once was that, in fact, continuing suppression of HER2 after disease progression on an initial trastuzumab-containing regimen matters. And that comes both from the lapatinib-capecitabine study, but also from a German study where they randomized women who had developed disease progression on a trastuzumab-containing regimen 
to either capecitabine alone or capecitabine plus trastuzumab, and where the combinations seem to be better. So I think this picture is emerging and perhaps becoming clearer that in the woman with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, that some sort of ongoing therapy with HER2 suppression, HER2-directed therapy, for at least some of these patients is probably important.